wisdom and direction in this time of chaos. Over the next two weeks, Pastor Wilson and Pastor Dave are sharing about how to use our privilege. In God's kingdom, it is the poor that are rich in faith. And it's actually the privileged of this world that are impoverished in their faith. What an amazing way to look at privilege through the lens of scripture. I hope that you'll enjoy the sermon. All right, we're in the book of James. We're in chapter two now, and we're moving from this topic of addiction, how to fight addiction, to how to use our privilege. So that's our main uh, topic for the next two weeks. And we have an opening question, as we always do um, in our community. The question is, who are the people you are drawn to and attracted to? And secondly, who are the people that you typically ignore? Okay, and as you break off into your Zoom calls, uh, I would love for you to engage in this question. And if, if, again, if you're not a part of a Zoom call, just look at the description page and jump into one. You'll be welcomed well. And there's a Zoom call for every life stage. And we'd love for you to participate, uh, hearing people answer questions and you joining the discussion as well. All right, I'll see you guys in five minutes. Hey, welcome back, everyone. I think we're typically attracted to the same kinds of people, right? We, we like people who uh, have an easy smile, a really outgoing personality, um, can hold a conversation is always nice. Not always true, but always nice. Uh, people who are pretty, who, are, who have uh, education, who have money. I mean, these are people that in every sphere of life, um, they draw attention to themselves. They get people's eyes and ears readily. Whether you're in a working environment, at a corporate job, and the boss walks into a room, right? Everyone greets them. Even if they don't really like them, they greet him because that's the person who can give you a pay raise. They have that power. Or if you're in a social setting and you're um, putting things on Instagram, right? You're hoping your friends are attractive because that's better for Instagram. I think, I think it's very obvious the people that we're drawn to. And it's pretty obvious that the people that are ignored as well, uh, whether they're homeless and you just drive past them without making eye contact or they're socially awkward and you don't know how to keep the conversation going. And this isn't just in our social circles or in our workplace or in our families, but it's also at church as well. That's maybe the sad thing, that there's people who walk into church and get a lot of attention get invites, make friends really easily. And there's others who come for weeks or even months at a time. And besides our greeting team, which their job is kind of to say hi to people, maybe they're just standing in the corner. Or maybe after service, they're by themselves and, and um, people are moving away from them instead of to them because they're, they're poor. They don't dress correctly or they're awkward or they're, or they're hard to hang out with, they're a little needy. Um, I think we, we can all have people in our mind in every category that fit those descriptions. In James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4, it's kind of saying the same thing. If this is Renew's problem, it's, I think, every church's problem. And every church's problem through centuries. Uh, we're not very special. James is talking to the church of his time and, and all of them, not just a specific one. 
And he says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes who comes in. Do you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you or say to the poor man, you should stand there kind of in the back or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? In, in the ancient world, a gold ring was a symbol of wealth and status. In fact, they had ring shops where you could rent gold rings in order to show off or pretend to have status at your next party. Uh, fine clothes might, wear meaning, wear, uh, might mean wearing white clothes so that you kind of sh- shined in um, the sea of gray and tan of, of kind of dirt-filled clothing. And during that time, when people came in that way, people were attracted to them. People gave them um, the best seat in the house. And we're not drawn to gold rings or white clothing. We don't have special seating, but we have our own way of doing those things. I think privilege isn't confined to ethnicity, but it's wealth, it's education, in some ways, it's even our personality and our social status. We can have privilege in many ways. And we could be unprivileged in all those ways as well. And so when I think about Renew, when I think about our modern church, um, we give deference to people and, and other, others are ignored. But what does James say about this? He actually gives a theological reason for why we should have eyes towards people who are not privileged, who are poor financially and socially and educationally. And he has a theology for not favoring the rich. In, chap- in verse 5, it says, Listen, my brothers and sisters, has not, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and inherit the kingdom? He promised those who love him. But you who have dishonored the poor, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him whom you belong? So here my my first point is the privileged poor. Now these are broad strokes. Not every poor person is going to love Jesus and... Put their faith in him. Not every rich person is going to exploit the poor. But in broad terms, Jesus or, or James is saying that the poor are actually privileged in God's kingdom. That the poor, socially, economically, um, are the ones who um, are rich in faith and inherit the kingdom. Look at these next verses. Jesus says, it is not the wealthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And then in Isaiah, it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has appointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Look at Jesus' call to ministry. Look at the people that he sees and long for and welcomes in. It's the sick, the brokenhearted, the poor, those who are prisoners. 
is that our ministry? Does that define the people we see and desire to reach out to? Or are we reaching out to a completely different population? Are we reaching out to the same people the world values and reach out, reaches out to? When you look at Jesus' ministry, he was surrounded by the prostitutes and tax collectors and the marginalized, the people who had leprosy. Those were the ones who first entered into the, his kingdom, who was the most attracted to Jesus, who wanted the gospel and were the hungriest for it. And it was the rich, the religious elite that ended up killing Jesus. The people who had power were, were the ones who rejected him first. And I think the reason for that is at the end of the day, the gospel is about dependence. It's about saying, God, I need you. I can't do it on my own. I'm insufficient. Would, would you help me? And the poor have always asked for help. The poor have always felt insufficient. The poor has never felt like they were good enough. And when they bridged that into their spirituality, it was easy. It was a straight road. It was right in front of them. Just like I need help financially to feed my family their next meal. So I need help spiritually. Just like I know I'm a sinner because everyone has told me that. And I need a savior. I'm broken and I need healing. Would you heal my body and my soul? Their, their desperation, their neediness, their cries for the Lord are all part of the gospel and what the Savior is looking for. You know, when I think about um, moments in my spiritual life that has been enlarged and enriched, often it's because of my interaction with the poor. Um, with the marginalized. I think about years ago, I had lunch with a homeless man. I, I bought him a meal and I had lots of time to kill. So I bought myself a burger as well. And we just sat down and uh, talked about life. I heard his story. And, um, you know, it's easy just to drive by the homeless and dehumanize them and even forget that they can speak and that they have a mind and that they feel. But when you sit and have a meal, you remember that they're just like us. And as I was finishing up, I said, I really felt like connected to him. And I asked him, what else can I do for you? Like, how do you need a ride anywhere? Do you need some money? Because I, I just really felt connected to him. And he said these words to me that I've carried with me for many years. He said, uh, thanks, Wilson, but Jesus is all I need. I've said that before, I've sang it before, but I, I've not said Jesus is all I need homeless. I've not said Jesus is all I need without a family, without a bank account, without a job. There was something rich about his poverty that he was gifting to me. I was doing homeless ministry at Union Rescue Mission. We went twice a week for years and I was this honorary volunteer. I got actually keys to the building so I could go to any floor. Um, and I, I remember cutting my teeth as a preacher, speaking to people who are homeless, uh, 200, 300 of them. They had a, a, a service before they got their meals. And so I often stepped in and preached to them. And then I became friends with many of them. So I was hanging out at this guy's bedroom. And uh, he was transitioning out of the shelter. He had been there for two years. And he was going to... Uh, 
get his job and find a place to live. And um, he had an Xbox. That was cool. And then as we were hanging out, he, he opened this package that was gifted to him. One of my favorite stories, by the way. And inside was a sweater. I was like, man, who gave that to you? And he said, dude, crazy story. So I was in jail and um, in this gang and this, ri- this rival gang and us were at war. So they asked me to kill this one guy. And I was like, oh, this is an interesting sweater story. And then, um, so I was going to kill him, uh, walking from my cell to kind of where he was. But right between us was a Bible study going on. And I thought, you know, I might die right now. So I'm going to go to Bible study. Just maybe I'll get to heaven, right? So he walks into Bible study and um, they start sharing the gospel. So he's like, I'm going to become a Christian. So he becomes a Christian, receives Jesus, asks for the forgiveness of sins. And right after that, he walks back to his cell because he's like, probably doesn't want me to kill people. A few years later, he gets released from jail. He's walking down the street, still like holding his Bible. And he sees that same guy that he was supposed to kill in jail. And that guy sees him and starts walking towards him. He's like, oh man, he's probably going to fight me, right? So they're walking towards each other and he breaks out his Bible. He says, I'm a Christian now. And the guy's like, I became a Christian too. And they gave each other a hug. And then they kept in touch and he sent him a sweater. That's the sweater story. So I became Christian when I was like three and a half and went to church my whole life. And to hear parts of scripture brought to life through his poverty. That a sinner can become a saint. That enemies can become family. There's a gift, a privilege in the poverty. I went to um, a foster kids camp uh, last year. I, I was slated to go this year with my interns, but because of COVID, they canceled uh, the Two foster boys that I'm mentoring are actually coming over in a few weeks to swim with us. I asked Liz to come and teach them how to swim. Um, it's like one of, I've been to 50 retreats. I've preached at 25. I was an assistant counselor at this foster kids camp. And it was by far the richest God experience I've ever had in my life. Because I was amongst the privileged poor. There was a hundred moments and one of them was just us leading worship for these foster kids and they would sing Good, Good Father, um, being fatherless. And as I sang it with them, these words were enriched in a thousand ways. They went from white and black and gray to colors everywhere. These kids singing Good, Good Father. And everything it meant to them was a gift to me. That's why James is saying, when someone who is poor walks into your community, they bring a great gift. They might be poor in the eyes of the world, but they are privileged in his kingdom. When we see the poor Do we see spiritual privilege? Like, do we have the lens of Christ, of a Christian? Or do we just see them as the world sees them? The next part of James, verse 5 to 7, is the poverty of the privileged. 
that the privileged in this world are actually impoverished in the Lord. And I wonder if that's sobering to you. It says, but you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him whom you belong? Now, there's a specific context here. The church was being persecuted. And oftentimes, they were persecuted by the powerful and the elite of their society. The Christians were really kind of this running, like this ragged band of people who were often pushed to the outskirts. Now, oftentimes, we are not. You know, when I think about the poverty of the privileged in our context, the person that comes to mind is a rich young ruler. This is from the Gospel of Mark. But think about that. He's rich. He's young, probably beautiful, and, and he has youth. And he's a ruler, which means he's powerful. He's, he's everything any hinge date could want, right? But more than that, he's actually ethical, he asks Jesus what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. Jesus goes down the list of the Ten Commandments and he says, I've done all of that. And I think he answered uh, with sincerity that he lived a very ethical or moral life. Best person ever, right? Best, best man ever. Very privileged, but also sought to live with a high moral standard. In verse, and then Jesus says, one thing you lack, go and sell all your possessions and give it to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Before Jesus said this, it says he felt a love for him and said to him. So Jesus has this compassion and love for this rich man. But at these words, he was saddened and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. You see, the poor come to Jesus humble and empty-handed. They come to Jesus desperate and in need. But us who are rich, who are beautiful and young and have money and things are secure, we come to Jesus with our hands full of, of, of possessions. We come to Jesus with entitlement. We come to Jesus with pride. That's the reality of, of how we're approaching Jesus as Americans, as white-collar workers, as the young and beautiful and rich. I mean, most of us fit this category, uh, the educated. And so the, the poor ha are empty-handed, but the rich have to let go of so much in order to cling on to Jesus. The rich man had to let go of his wealth, his power, his prestige in order to have the capacity to cling to the Lord. That's not the problem of the poor. The rich have idols and they're worshiping them successfully. The poor have nothing looking for God. And that's why Jesus looking at his disciples said, how hard is it? How hard will it be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed at his words. I hope that those of us who are educated, who have a lot, who are attractive, would have this deep 
humility in our souls to know that maybe our faith is pretty flimsy and we're poor in it. That we haven't been desperate for the Lord in the same way as these other people. We haven't been persecuted. We haven't been pushed to nothingness and still clung on to our hope in Jesus. We've had a lot. And so for the rich, Jesus can just be an accessory, can just be one more thing to help us fulfill our American dreams, our ambitions. Jesus can just be another ease and comfort in life and not the thing we center our life in. Our wealth is often our distraction. Our wealth is, and privilege is our spiritual poverty. And I hope we've been able to grapple with that. So how, if we are privileged, do we gain poverty in our spirit? How do we gain the privilege of poverty? Do we even want that? Well, the first thing we need to do is that we remember our need for the gospel and our continual spiritual poverty. In James chapter 2, 8 through 11 says, But you really keep the royal law found in scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. And he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. James is challenging those of us who feel self-righteous, privileged, wealthy, and he points at our spiritual poverty. You know, people who are poor easily assume that they're poor spiritually as well. But people who are wealthy can easily assume, and privilege can easily assume spiritual privilege. But James reminds us of the depths of our depravity. He reminds us that all of us are sinners. No matter how small a sin you've committed, you have broken a part of the law and therefore all of the law, right? So if you've lied, if you've showed favoritism, if you cheated someone, if you slandered someone, you're also a rapist and an adulterer and a murderer. You've broken all of the law. That's hard for us to comprehend because if I speed, I'm not going to be charged for murder, right? I've broken a portion of the law and I get a speeding ticket. I don't go to jail for murder. But that's a human um, understanding of law and justice. God has a perfect law. If you want to go by the law, you have to be perfect. You can't break any part of it. And James reminds us that we are all lawbreakers. And as we come to the Lord, we come in spiritual poverty. That's our first step into the Christian faith. If you, if you don't believe that you're a sinner in need of forgiveness and grace, you can't be Christian because that's your first step in. Your first step in is saying, man, I can't do anything that will allow me to enter into heaven and find favor with the Lord. I need his forgiveness and his grace. I'm in complete spiritual poverty. And that is one of our first steps into the privilege of poverty is to remember our need for his grace, not just in one point of time, but every single day we examine our souls. 
we see our sin and we ask Jesus to forgive us. Secondly, we continue, how we continue in the privilege of poverty is to remember where we came from. This is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26 to 31. Brothers and sisters, think of where you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. You who you have become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. You know, for some of us, this is easy. God has always chosen the weak things of the world to glorify himself, right? He chose, um, he chose Joseph out of slavery to rule Egypt. Um, he chose David. His own father didn't see him, but God saw his heart because he was the youngest of his brothers. Jesus chose fishermen, blue-collar workers. He chose a tax collector, someone who is hated in Matthew. He chose a zealot. He chose all of the outcasts to, to, to shame the wise. And I see that in me. I fell fifth grade, got diagnosed with ADD. Um, I had no influence, no friends. I was ignored. You know, I, I think when I think about the people that renew or any kind of social circle would ignore, I, I see that as myself in elementary school. I would walk into a place and no one would say hi. You know, I would be picked last on the team. Uh, I played with myself at recess for through elementary school because no one so it's just like me and a ball you know and and jesus um and so in all of that in that space god took this kid who had no friends who couldn't pass fifth, fifth grade who has a hard time reading even now and and gives me so many things right he gives me my beautiful wife my fat babies, my house. He gives me this really uh, beautiful church that I've always envisioned in so many ways. I have a lot of friends now, some, some friends of 20 years, of 10 years, of five years. I feel so wealthy. And I think what uh, Paul is exhorting is, is asking me and asking you if you have that history are you operating out of your wealth and taking pride in it that God's gifted you through many years? Or do you still see yourself as that kid who was um, ignored and looked over? Because if you operate out of wealth and privilege, you're going to judge other people and think that they're worse than you and look down on them. You're going to say, I'm smarter than you. I, I have more than you. I, I'm, I'm more social than you are. I'm better looking than you. And you'll see them as lower. But if you have wealth 
and privilege, but see yourself from a way of humility. If I can operate out of fifth grade Wilson, that kid that's standing alone in our church, I will talk to them first because that's me. If I operate out of social status, religious status, Pastor Wilson, then I don't need, I don't even see him. I think that's how we remember others. When we remember our spiritual poverty, when we remember where we came from, we remember the others around us. So James chapter 2 in my section concludes here. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Um, Where we show mercy to others instead of judgment, when we see the mercy and grace we've received on the cross, in salvation, but also through the course of our life. When we lose sight of the mercy we received, we will, we will judge others. But when we hold closely that mercy, we will extend mercy to others. And an evidence that we understand the gospel and we receive the mercy and blessings of Jesus is that we only boast in him and that we extend mercy to the people around me. You know, James chapter 2, verse 2, as he leads into the se- section, says, My brothers and sisters, believers of our glorious Lord, do not show favoritism. I love how he addresses his community. He says, your brothers and sisters, your family. You know, when your family with someone, when, when you've, or when you've been friends for 20 years, you don't have a utilitarian networking um, relationship, right? I think that's the beauty of childhood friendships. When you get older, and especially if you're in the corporate world, in the secular world, you're, whenever you make friendship, you're always asking, what can this person do for me, right? Uh, can he fund a project? Can he get me connected to someone who can fund a project? Can he give me a promotion? You know, do they have a social network that I want to tap into? We're just wired. We're taught those things. But when we're in elementary school, when I see Liam hang out with his friends, he doesn't, there's, he's not registering how much money they make because they all make nothing, right? He doesn't know about social class or, or gender or, 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 or ethnic privileges, even attractiveness. Like they're just, they're just kids. They're family. I, I have an uncle who's a full bird colonel, right, right under a general. I remember going to the army base with him and everyone saluting his car and just giving him the utmost honor and respect. But for me, he's my uncle. Like, that's it. And when I think about my role at Renew, functionally, I'm your pastor. Positionally, I'm your pastor. But in my essence, I'm family. I I hope that you feel like I speak to you, preach to you, and treat you as primarily your brother in Christ, as an equal, a sinner saved by grace. Um, When we look out in our community, I pray that we would see brothers and sisters, that we wouldn't see rich and poor, 
socially apt and not attractive and not attractive. Uh, someone who's in our life stage and someone who's, who's not. That we would see family. We would see brothers and sisters that we love. We would see past. All the things that the world looks at. And even give deference to those who are poor socially, emotionally, and economically because they gift us Jesus in new and profound ways that those of us who are privileged will easily forget. I love that Renew has a special needs ministry, one of, our, uh, one of the first ministries we started as a church. And I've seen how that ministry has actually shaped and gifted our community uh, when we do it right. Brother and sisterness. You know, the, I, something I take pride in is that we've stopped to sing happy birthday to people after service. And, and the times we've done it kind of within our service has always been people uh, who have special needs. It's not been me. It's not been a worship leader. It's not an elder. It's, it's those that um, might be overlooked in the world we try to um, elevate in our community. And I pray that we continue to do this because they, they are gifts in God's kingdom. They are the rich. They are rich in the Lord. And would we have the eyes of Jesus and see them as precious souls to the Lord instead of the eyes of the world. I hope that we, we don't see people the same exact way as everyone else, but that we have the eyes of Christ who stops for the blind man, who touches the leopard, who invites himself into Zacchaeus' house, who's hiding in a tree because people won't let him in who allows the prostitute to wash his feet. I pray that we would have his eyes, that we would be drawn to the people he is, and that we would minister to the least of these. Not because we have pity on them, but because they are the rich and the privileged in Christ. God, we're so grateful for your kingdom and how it just looks so different than the world. And I pray, and I thank you for this Savior who sees and touches and elevates um, this kid who failed fifth grade, had no friends, and got sick all the time, had zero confidence, was unattractive and ignored. Um, yeah, and I pray that there would be an ugly, poor, rejected kid in all of us who has a best friend that happens to be the creator of the universe and the king of kings, extending his hand and lifting us up. We love you so much, Jesus, and I pray for us to see us as you see us and to see others uh, as you see them. In Jesus' name, amen.